All right. Let's see here. Oops, I hear you. Oh, man. How are you? Good, man. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Where are you today? I'm in uh, the attic of our house. The attic. I hear you, man. It's, uh, yeah, the top floor of our house. And uh, it's a cool, wet day here in the Chicago area. A cool, wet day? Yeah. Y'all, uh, seems like I read, didn't I see that y'all, uh, didn't Chicago Bears win their game yesterday? Yes, they did. I, apparently, they won three in a row. Nice. Which apparently huh? is un unexpected. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. Yeah, I just saw – I don't know where I saw some headline flash or something that replaced the quarterback with somebody else and won or something like that. I don't really watch football anymore, but um, but I did see that. Let me see if I can move here. Yeah, I don't know any specifics. I pretty much watch restaurant. <laughs> you watch what? Restaurant. I hear you, man. It's hot here. It's humid and hot here today. We got the opposite here. We're chilling. You're chilling. Yeah. But we had a great week. It was really nice, a really nice uh, summer-like week this past week. So. Oh, good. That was good for us. Good for our business. Um, let's see here. Wait a minute. Let me just get a couple of things squared away here, and we'll start. Uh, you. Oh, wait. That's better. I kind of like that better. Okay. Um, let's see. There we go. Can you see me okay? Hear me yeah. okay? Yeah. Okay. Really good. How about me? Perfect. All right. Perfect. Um, I'm just going to edit this first part out. Um, so it, cause it's recording now, what I do is I just I clip this first part out. So I'll do an intro here in a sec, just as if we just started and then we'll go from there. Okay. Um, all right, let's see here. Okay. All right. What's up y'all? Uh, I'm excited today to have Chick Evans here with me. Um, we've talked lots of times over the years, uh, on the podcast, just just not on the podcast, just catching up in general. And uh, Chick's up outside of Chicago. Um, first place he had was in uh, in New York, Maxie's Supper Club, and he's uh, also has a place in Chicago, Great Coast Commons. And then you've got something else you started uh, recently as well this summer, right, Chick? Yeah, right here in uh, Kenilworth, Illinois, just outside of Chicago, where we have Great Coast Commons. We opened Great Coast Summer Grill, which is a five-night-a-week, Wednesday through Sunday pop-up restaurant on the street and parkway right around the corner from our restaurant uh, that is, uh, you know, a complete pop-up Wednesday through Sunday night, weather permitting, where we set up our kitchen, our bar, our full restaurant on the street. And then on the parkway, there's a, it's a two-lane road that has a nice 20-foot wide parkway running down the middle with uh, grass and trees in it. Uh, the villages let us not only close the road, but also set up, uh, we have uh, tables and benches, like uh, beer hall style tables and benches along the parkway. And uh, that's been a huge help for us this summer, obviously. And the weather's been great most of the summer. Although I do have a lot of weather anxiety Wednesday through Sundays. I'm wondering whether we're going to be able to close. Yeah, weather. 
but uh, mostly it's been really good. So, so okay. Now, you, do you have a, what happens like if it's raining, if it's raining, it's raining or raining or whatever, do you have any way to cover it or? No, we have tents over no, our, we have kitchen. Tents over our <laughs> kitchen and bar. I'm getting a little bit of echo here. Uh, our kitchen and bar uh, are covered with tents. And then the outdoor area where the guests are is not covered. So there's only been one occasion where we had a really unexpected downpour and it was toward the end of service. And some of the guests ran under our tents and some, and there's a building that we're renting that has awnings hanging off it. So people went over there and some people just packed up their food or were finishing up. But uh, for the most part, we've been able to call it right before the evening happened. Meaning, you know, we use schedule fly to, message our staff by two o'clock every afternoon if we're not going to open to to let them know that you know tonight you know we're expecting thunderstorms tonight or whatever it might be and, and we're not opening which we probably had to do we finally got this thing open in the middle of july so it's been like 10 weeks now and we've probably had to not open probably i would say five or six nights in those out of those 50 nights so it's been a really good positive uh, weather experience for us and our guests love it. I mean, they're just so happy to get out of their houses and be able to be in an environment where they're completely outdoors. You know, unless they go in the building to use the restrooms, everything's outdoors for the guests. Have you, um, how did you get that going? I mean, obviously that, that was a result of, uh, and what I guess a, a net positive result of all that's happened with COVID, but you had to go get permission. And then is it like, how long are you able to do this? Um, is it something where you have a certain amount of months or a certain date where you won't be able to do it anymore? Or is it just, how's that structured? Well, how it started was, you know, we opened our restaurant in January. We opened up, you know, we probably talked about this last time we talked, but the uh, Great Coast is the you first. You opened Great Coast Commons. Right. The Great Coast Commons is our first and only restaurant in Kenilworth, Illinois, which is a, a village that was developed yeah. in the early 1900s. And it's this, uh, really nice uh, suburb just north of Chicago. And there's never really been a restaurant or a bar there. So uh, there had been a kind of a changing of the guard in the village board over the last five or six years. It's kind of made them more business, uh, pro-business and interested in having amenities in the neighborhood. And um, so that worked out really well. And then eight weeks after we opened, we had to uh, become a takeout only restaurant because we, we opened on, uh, January 16th and by March 17th, the state had shut down restaurants for in-person dining. So uh, we just have had a really good relationship with the village from the time we approached them about putting a restaurant in this building that we purchased and going through a special use permit process and liquor licensing and just uh, working with them in general on trying to help make the business district more vital. Uh, we've had really great relationships with the village board and with the, uh, the village management. So they actually approached us saying, what can we do to help you this summer? Like, we know you've got very limited outdoor space where your restaurant is, you know, and I know you're gonna be able to put some tables outside there, but uh, you know, we've got some space that maybe we can work with. So they suggested maybe we take a look at park drive thinking that we would park drive is just about a hundred feet South of us. We're kind of in the middle of the block. And they said, uh, you know, maybe you should serve out here. And they were thinking that we would just run our first full service restaurant with an outdoor dining on, on the street and on the parkway, which I didn't think was very feasible to do, try to do full service out of our kitchen 
and be 100, 125 feet away, whatever it was, uh, to try to serve that and still maintain the takeout business that we have, which we think we're going to need to get us through the winter and the limited on-premises business we had. So uh, after thinking about it for several days, because I really was like, man, does it make sense to, because I knew we were only be able to get the road at night. And I said, is it going to really make sense for us to set up and break down an entire kitchen and bar operation out there and the investment that's going to take to buy all the equipment and get ready for this. And I thought about it for four or five days and we looked at a couple other alternative scenarios and we're like, no, this is the best opportunity. And then I talked to the gentleman that owned the building on the corner who'd already expressed his interest in letting us use the sidewalk around his property. And this happens to be that the corner building at this location has been vacant for about two years. So he gave us a, a reasonable rent, to rent the space through the end of October, which is when the village gave us permission. They, they gave us permission to use the road until October 31st, which up here is typically very little outdoor activity after October, as far as restaurants go. I think it's, if it, you know, predicted to be nice the first few weeks in November, we might be able to work something else out, but we're permitted to close that road Wednesday through Sunday night at four o'clock from four to 10 and use the parkway uh, until the end of October right now. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's been a huge, huge help for our business this summer. Well, do, do you think that like, okay, so you, a couple of things this really brings up. One is this really underscores the, the incredible number of relationships that restaurant owners need to build and maintain. Um, to be successful. It's, it's your, with your customers, it's with your staff, it's with your purveyors, it's with your local government leaders. It's a, uh, it's quite, well, it's just an, it's a critical piece of this, isn't it? I mean, I've, I've never really, I've thought about it. I've always thought about how important it is to have relationships, particularly as an independent restaurant, because, you know, you're so dependent on having a, a good reputation in your community, but in this situation, I mean, those kinds of things are really important. And uh, when you can't plan for something like this and it comes up, gosh, if you'd had a bad relationship with your local leadership or, you know, you were at odds with them or button heads, this could have gone the opposite direction, couldn't it? I mean, doesn't that, isn't it amazing how many relationships you have to have? And so much of what you do in hospitality is just, it's the relationship business, isn't it? I think you're hundred percent right. I mean, we, we could have never pulled this off if we hadn't uh, really developed a good relationship with our community. Uh, the people living in it, of course, the people that live in the neighborhood and also the leaders of the village and the management of the village. I mean, there were, you know, through our development processes, there were some things that happened and uh, the village actually made some big mistakes in approving our plans that were kind of expensive for me. And I just took it all in stride and I was like, Hey, you know, there were, you know, some mistakes made and, and they were very apologetic. And I was just like, you know, what, we'll, we'll, we'll make it right. You know, let's just continue on this process and get the restaurant open. And then they, they were very helpful in making it from their side, make the inspectors come in quicker. And, you know, so we were, it was always a co very cooperative relationship. And I think, and it's, you know, it's challenging, I think, dealing in a lot of places with government and government officials and the staff of, uh, of the bureaucracy that's in place that runs a community. You know, luckily this one's really small 
and they've been very much in favor of us doing what we're doing right from the get-go. And they knew, you know, we open a restaurant and we actually live in this tiny village too. So that really helped right from the start gain their trust. Like they knew that they had a, a guy who wasn't from around here, although my wife grew up in a, in a neighboring town, um, but I'm originally from New York state and, uh, you know, opening up my first restaurant in Illinois, although I worked in restaurants in Illinois for many years, 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago. Um, but I think building relationships right from the start was what we did. We went in and, you know, talked very frankly about our business and, and uh, for our special use permit process and, you know, tried to accommodate concerns that people have had right from the start. And from the get go, it was definitely, they recognized that we were serious about building relationships and being here long-term and trying to please as many people as we possibly could. That said, you know, it wasn't hundred percent support. We had two people that came up to me and threatened to sue me about closing the road and, you know, but what was interesting is that, you know, those people were really outliers because there was an actual Zoom village board meeting about closing the road for us. And I was told there were about 15 emails sent in and about 10 people spoke on our behalf. And there were more people ready to speak on our behalf, but became kind of redundant. So there was, you know, I'd say we have 99.8% of the population here is in full support of what we're doing with a few outliers that, you know, it's interesting because I think it wasn't just about our business. It was also about the village wanting to do something for the community and give them something to do and have them have a place to go. We had just started this restaurant and we're open for two months and everybody was loving it. And then we became a takeout restaurant and they knew that the summer and who knows how long in the future, we're going to have challenges getting a lot of people in the restaurant, getting them together. And uh, they really embraced us as part of the community someone who's you know as a business that is uh, bringing people together and giving people what they want and I think from village development point of view hopefully going to attract more businesses to their neighborhood downtown neighborhood but back to your point I think you know it's all about relationships if we if we had if we were at odds about you know things that the government wanted you know the, the local government wanted us to do and we tried to cut corners or work around or not be straight with them you know, you would erode those uh, benefits that come up when a situation like this happens where everybody, almost everybody's on your side and really want to help you succeed. And that's certainly based on relationships and, uh, you know, really long-term thinking and, and wanting to be in the community for a long time and wanting to keep people happy and keep them smiling, which is, you know, to me, like, it's not just good business, it's good living, but at the end of the day, that is a, ends up being your best marketing too, you know, it just, uh, you know, keeping people happy and keeping a positive feel in the community about what you're doing is uh, so important. And this is, like you said, this is paying the dividends now because the village is very cooperative with us about helping us succeed. You, uh, you said you have two people threaten to sue you. Were those members of the community? Yeah, there were people that lived up the street that we were closing and um, they were they were just kind of outliers. I think they were a little bit in their own little tunnel world, you know, they didn't really grasp the community idea and the importance of what restaurants and community places bring to the neighborhood. Um, you know, I mean, they, they threatened, they verbally, they came up and, you know, one of them came up with a video camera and was like videoing us and saying, <laughs> oh, this is not allowed and the village board can't, you know, help a private business and, 
And uh, I was like, well, we're, we're doing it for the community, you know, and, and quite honestly, you know, I think we spent about 40 grand to set this thing up. And I think we, I think at this point we've probably made that back, but I mean, basically this was a huge investment and, you know, at the end of the day, financially, what I have at the end of the season is a bunch of used restaurant equipment, you know, because um, it, you know, it's not like I put a bunch of, I put, I put out a bunch of capital and I got back some cash flow. Um, but it also was hugely positive for our community and for our business and for continuing to establish our brand in the neighborhood. But, it, you know, there, I think the, you know, the, the outliers were people that were a little out of touch with reality and out of touch with their community. Um, but they were, I mean, it was like, I mean, I took, I took them seriously and I respected and listened to them, but they were definitely like such a small minor, you know, uh, noise. It was like a, a little thorn in the side to the, considering the, uh, the amount of positivity, positivity and support that we've had. So, yeah, man, I hear you. I, that, that stuff's quite interesting. The and there was, never, there was nothing legal ever came of it. I mean, the one guy was, well, I was going to say that's a lot of idle threats. It would seem, I would imagine. Um, so, but it was a little so, extra, extra stress as you're going through the, the, uh, process as if you need it anymore yeah and we really i mean we we came up with the idea and about within a week or two we had the permission from the village and a month later we were open so i mean we opened a restaurant basically in a month you know it was a new concept new menu you know we're we're still doing we're doing prep in our original restaurant kitchen at great coast commons down the street but great coast summer grill has its own menu um we're doing you know pizzas we got these uh cool little Gosney rock box pizza ovens that cook one pizza at a time, but they get up to like 900 degrees. So we got three of those. We have a grill and then the rest of it's all cold station. So we've got a salad station. We do antipastas and salads and we do a couple of desserts and we have uh, pizzas and grilled uh, skewers of uh, chicken and uh, fish and steak and veggies and mm antipastas, pizzas, and, you know, it's a, it's a very limited menu, but it was like a really nice kind of summer grill menu, kind of like a somewhat of an Italian kind of, you know, casual street food almost. Uh, Italian slash Greek a little bit, you know, a little Mediterranean thing. And a full bar, you know, with, we had a bunch of summer cocktails we have and beers and wines and, uh, and non-alcoholic beverages for the kids. And, uh, and, you know, it was pretty amazing to, you know, I didn't even really even draw the thing out. I just had it in my head. Like it was like, it was like the business plan that was only an idea. <laughs> it, was a it never, it never really made I was going to say, I mean, it's a big, uh, I imagine you had to take a few days to think about it. That's a, there's so many unknowns with that. A lot of risk, a lot of investment up front. Uh, so yeah. And we, and we brought our, you know, our point of sale system over there. So we ran a, an internet wire from our building across two other buildings and put a Wi-Fi out there and, and have, you know, we had a, uh, electrical 50 amp electrical panel made for outdoors that we plug into the building and unplug every day, you know, so we, we built our little information and electric infrastructure and, you know, it's all portable. It all gets disconnected every day, everything. I mean, this, this entire operation gets set up and broke down every day, you know, every there at, at three, three thirty in the afternoon, we start setting up at four o'clock, we can close the road. So we're setting up like the tables on the parkway from three thirty to four before we close the road and by 10 o'clock at night, everything's gone. There's no sign of a restaurant. Mm -hmm. How's your team doing? How are you folks, your folks on your team? They're doing pretty well. I mean, we're, you know, it's, we're, it feels like a normal busy operation right now. 
and uh, you know, I'm concerned about now moving into the colder weather and, you know, we're really trying to determine what is next. You know, it's been like a, it felt like it was like a week to week planning and now it's becoming like more like a month to month planning. And now I need to think about like the next six months really. So, um, but the team, the team is doing well. I mean, uh, it's, I think really well. I mean, I'm really, really pleased with how well everybody's handling everything. Uh, we've got a really good, uh, mature core of people who are experienced and um, really, you know, see what's going on and are really being flexible and willing to pivot and willing to try new things and uh, keeping the original restaurant relevant. And, uh, you know, our, our chef has like been doing Oktoberfest specials for the past few weeks. And so just keeping it in shame. I think it's easy to kind of get burned out and get lulled during this time. But I think it's like, we've, I think we've entered into a phase where we're, there's some normalcy to it. So it feels like a regular restaurant, although, you know, capacity is so limited indoors still for us. And, um, and it's just, you know, COVID's on the tip of everybody's tongue and it's on hyper, you know, it's in everybody's awareness. And, uh, but at the same time, we've been really lucky, you know, we're, you know, we haven't had a, a outbreak of any sort in the restaurant, uh, which I know, you know, it feels like, you know, will we beat the vaccine, you know, because it's like at, at some point it feels like almost everyone's going to get exposed. Right. So um, we've been lucky as far as that goes, both in Ithaca at Maxi's and in Kenilworth. Um, but we're also pretty vigilant. You know, we've had a few staff members get on airplanes for various reasons. And when they come back for their trips, we say, oh, well, four to five days later, you should get tested. And then if it's negative, you can come back to work. So we're you know, we're trying to look at, you know, people's lifestyles and decisions they make and how they may affect the restaurant. So we're, you know, and, you know, we've been wearing masks and that for months and we're all used to that and washing our hands and all the protocols and all that stuff. So everyone's just kind of rolling with it. It's been, you know, there's not been a lot of uh, pushback or drama about it. I think people are yeah. pretty, pretty resilient team, I think. So I feel really fortunate about that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting in the winter. Um, because everybody, you know, I mean, that's, there's just more stuff in general. And then everybody's going to think as soon as they have any sort of symptom of anything that they might have COVID. I, I went and got right. a test last week. I think I have an ear infection, but I was like, I had a fever and I was run down. I have body aches. I was like, Nope, here it is. I got it. And, uh, the good news is though, you can get tested so easily now and you get results quickly. So I did this like, it was like a drive-through with CBS. I logged in, I put my name in, I, I selected a time, I rolled up on the set in my car. They literally handed me the stuff in my car and watched me swab myself and walk me through the process. And then like 36 hours later, I got an email saying, you know, negative. Uh, there'll be a lot of that in the wintertime. People yeah, that's the thing, the cold, you know, the cold season and, you know, the flu thing and, uh, you know, people are, you know, we're probably going to have a lot of, call-ins, you know, which at this point we got to welcome it, you know, like anyone gets a scratchy throat or a runny nose or any type of fever. I mean, of course you wouldn't. You do. Yeah. But it's you, just, you don't uh, have. do I have a cold or do I have COVID? Like, I mean, hopefully they'll just keep making it easier and easier and quicker to test. I know like, uh, who was it? I was talking to somebody in Boulder last week and he said that, uh, they had just gotten a chef who was who tested positive 
they were sending everybody to Denver because in Denver there was like a one hour result. Like in Boulder, they have like a 24 hour turnaround, mm-hmm. but in, in Denver, half an hour away or whatever it is, you get like a one hour, which is critical yeah. for like I would think y'all would. I mean, that's really, really important. That difference in time is like, yeah, well, I think critical. I think that the, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, you know, if, if, if a vaccine doesn't work or they can't come up with something that works, I think it's going to be testing. That's going to be uh, a big part of our life for the next few years, you know, and it's going to have to be like, you know, something that can be done at home, you know, when an instant results or something like that, you know, almost like, mm-hmm. like a home pregnancy test or something like that, where it's like somehow they yeah. come up with a, with a way where it's like inexpensive and everybody has it and everybody tests themselves once a week or something like that and reports the results, you know, cause it seems like that, that's the key right now until there's, you know, immunity through a, through a, uh, a vaccine, you know? Um, so hopefully the technology will keep moving forward. It seems like it's come a long way, obviously in the last six, seven months that we've been dealing with this. So if they keep advancing it. Hopefully it'll be uh, easier. You know, hopefully we just get this vaccine and get to get it straightened out and get back to some kind of normal. As we're watching, I just read the other day, what, 100,000 restaurants have closed already. And, you know, just... Uh, Where'd you read that? Who, who uh, said that? I think it was, uh, I don't know if it was the National Restaurant Association or one of the, one of the restaurant, you know, emails I get. Uh, but that was a number that, that came up that was just like, wow, that is just, it's massive. I mean, I don't know. What, do you know what the, what's the total number of restaurants in the country? seemed like a high percentage, whatever it was. It was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'm buying that, but I don't know. Um, limited. Uh, well, just in our little schedule fly world, we haven't seen anywhere near that type of runoff. Um, but who knows? Like, it depends on like, there's so many things, right? That, the, the reason you hear that number, <coughs> I think is that like with anything news related, it, it uh, if it's if it's ho hum, nobody cares. But when you say a number like a hundred thousand, everybody pays attention. And there's a lot of incentive, of course, to you know, for that to sound really bad because I mean, there's a lot of people that will benefit from that. Now there have been plenty that have closed. A hundred thousand seems really extreme to me. But again, it depends on like how do you classify? What does that mean? Like the National Restaurant Association will say there's like. 900,000 or a million restaurants, but that's like, I mean, they'll qualify like a hot dog stand, you know, as a restaurant. So it's really hard to know. Right. I'll tell you that we've seen, uh, we've seen uh, maybe, you know, like 8% or something of our, like a net loss of 8% maybe of our customers, um, which would be, you know, we've, we've picked up customers and then we've lost. So that's net. So gross, it's probably higher. But um, if there's several hundred thousand independent restaurants in the U.S., which seems to be, should be about right, I think, from all the research I've done, a hundred thousand would be very high. Um, I mean, anecdotally, have you seen that? Like, have you seen 30% of the restaurants around you in Chicago close? No, no. But I think the 100,000 number was more like, I thought, I figured it was like 7% of the restaurants or something like that. But like you said, it could be, like you said, hot dog stands and really, you know, very small operations. 
Um, but, you know, I don't know. I read a lot of headlines of restaurants closing in Chicago. If you go to, you know, the Chicago Eater and Time Out, and they have ongoing lists of notable restaurant closings, and there are a lot. Um, yeah. In the northern suburbs here, not so much. I mean, in the neighborhood, all these people are hunkered down up in the suburbs here, and they're still ordering a lot of takeout and dining outdoors and limited capacity. So it's different. But in the city where, you know, you think about, I don't know how much time you spent in Chicago, but River North and West Loop is just like restaurant after restaurant after restaurant. Yeah. And there are people that live in those neighborhoods, but those restaurants rely on tourism. They rely on business. They rely on full hotels. They rely on people coming in from the suburbs on the weekends to party in the city. You know, so yeah. they, they rely on a lot of people that don't live in their neighborhood uh, to make these restaurant neighborhoods really vibrant and they're really awesome. And they really, you know, that's where I think there's a lot of suffering going on, at least in the Chicago area, where there are neighborhoods that are restaurant destinations, you know, and people aren't heading to those destinations quite as much as they used to. Um, and they're not, you know, the hotels, you know, of course, the hotel business is really hurting probably yeah. even, you know, more so than the restaurant business. Um, you know, I don't know where they are currently, if the, how much travel is kicked back in or business travel, but it does seem like it's still suffering greatly and will continue to. So those empty hotels and those empty offices are really hurting those downtown areas, you know, dense city areas where there are, you know, there's hundreds of restaurants in these neighborhoods. Yeah. No, there's no doubt the densely populated uh, metropolitan areas are, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a big struggle. New York City as well. We see a ton of that in New York. I, you know, I wonder if like, if you think forward a year or two or whatever, like we'll eventually get back to, I mean, it may not be the exact same as before, but people, they want to travel. They want to be together. They want to go to restaurants. They, you know, like people are going to stay cooped up so long and maybe then there's a vaccine. And then you wonder if a lot of these, uh, restaurant folks are able to reopen it up you know revised concept plus cheaper rent seems like rent's got to go down in a lot of those places um it's just not sustainable because even if we get back to something like who's who's to say you know we won't have another one in a few years it's totally different it causes us right. again right I mean, uh, let's talk about there being you know more pandemics but who knows you know but, you know, as far as the rent goes, the landlords have obligations, too. So, you know, there's, you know, they got be rent coming down because the landlord lost the building or because the creditors allowed them to write off some of the value of their property or, you know, I mean, I mean, some landlords, you know, they're all every situation is different, right? Every lease is different. Every restaurant's in a different situation. But landlords are can, a lot of them are probably in a tough spot, too, as far as being able to, you know, some of them are in a better position to lower rents and some of them are not in a position to lower rents, you know? And, uh, well, they got a mortgage to pay. Yeah. I mean, it's not just an easy thing. Like, Oh, you can just lower the rent within right. the mortgage holder who's got investors. And it's a, I mean, it's a big chain. Right. But, you know, about things coming back to normal is like the whole economy is really getting rocked. I mean, you know, I don't think the, uh, the, uh, stock market is a true indicator of how much suffering is going on in our world. 
And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, I mean, just think about people that work in the restaurant business and how many jobs have been lost and how much income has been lost there and all of the, all of the, you know, uh, effects of that spider webbing out through the economy and all these other businesses that are suffering, um, you know, long-term, what does it mean for the restaurant business? I don't know. I mean, people are going to potentially have a lot less disposable income going forward for some time that, um, maybe a, an issue for rebuilding, you know, is the, is the economy going to support, I mean, people are still going to eat, but how are they going to eat? Right. And, and what's it going to be? And, and, you know, what is, is it going to be a real luxury to have a sit down restaurant anymore? You know, or, or is that, you know, and that's the business I'm in. I love to create the event. I love to create the uh, hospitality environment, the place where people come and gather and enjoy and be with their neighbors and friends and meet people. And, uh, you know, feeding is an important part of what we do, but the creation of the event and the place is what we do. And I think, you know, that's the part of the business that could really get hit hard for a while, I think, through this. So it's, uh, who knows what the future looks like. We just got to keep moving forward, you know, and we just got to keep figuring out how we're going to get through the next six months, you know, yeah. stay relevant and stay in business and keep people employed and keep serving our communities. Keep feeding our well, yeah. That's right, man. I mean, you, you uh, you've got the right mindset because you're focusing on the things you can control, not on the things you can't control. Which is how long does this last? You know, I mean, y'all. Are, I mean, the weather there is going to be crazy, right? In Chicago in the winter, it's the windy city. It's cold. Like, how do you eat outside? I mean, even with heaters, it gets tough. So, but uh, you get up every day and you um. You just do the best you can. And of course, you know, that saying, I, I really believe this, that uh, desperation is the mother of all invention or necessity is the mother of all invention or however it goes. It's, it's very true. I mean, there's a lot of, in an unfortunate situation like this, a lot of creativity and innovation will come from this that will be positive changes that will endure. Um, but I'm still a firm believer that people will, it'll take time. I think that, smart, thoughtful, intentional, creative folks like yourself that also, you know, have the benefit of maybe not being uh, in the unfortunate situation of being on like some of those densely populated streets you mentioned there in Chicago. Um, You've got a community that's behind you and y'all will figure it out. And people, people want to, I mean, people have been going to restaurants since we've been around, right? Like, Restaurants have endured everything forever. Uh, they've endured plagues and panics before. I mean, restaurants have been here in some form or fashion for you know hundreds of years, thousands of years, whatever. And um, that doesn't change. Human nature doesn't change, I think, in the sense that we want to be around good people in our community. We want to share our highs and, and our lows with our friends and our family. And we want to do it somewhere where somebody's taking care of us. And, and people like you and your team that take good care of people will, you know, you got a lot of good, um, you got, a, you got a lot of equity in the bank of karma right now, Chick. <laughs> you know, you're a good guy and you're a thoughtful guy, an intentional guy and a genuine and authentic person who, um, you know, you'll get through this. I believe that. I believe folks like you will. That's why I like talking to folks like you so much and so many of our customers who I think are just doing things for the right reasons. And you're in hospitality for 
more than just making a buck. And um, that's why I love independent restaurants so much and folks like you so much, man. I say I, all of us here schedule fly. When I say that, I mean that. Yeah, and that's, it's, I think, you know, it's hard. I think it's hard for uh, a lot of mom and pop shops who, you know, I think about people that are maybe 10, 15, 20 years older than me and they've been working really hard and going through a hard time. And it's like, you know, I, I understand those people just kind of like hanging it up, you know, it's like, man, I don't have the energy to reinvent myself one more time, you know, and I really feel for those people. I feel you know, they've worked all their lives to build an asset that, you know, was part of their plan for their retirement or whatever it might be. And, you know, it's, uh, it's tough. Like I really feel for the people out there that are, you know, really, I, I feel fortunate. I feel lucky. You know, I feel really, you know, decisions I've made have put me in communities and marketplaces that have allowed us to continue to do okay and continue to get by and, and keep moving forward with a lot of support and a lot of encouragement. And um, it's, uh, you know, I feel really fortunate. I definitely, but I also, I, I feel for those that are really suffering in our business. You know, I think it's uh, such a challenging time and, you know, who would have seen it coming? You know, it's like, yeah. Well, there's a seems like all all success is like some combination of some factors whether it's hard work smarts creativity uh authenticity but there's always luck in there <laughs> like if you're successful in any way and you don't account for luck you're lying to yourself i think that i mean i, I really believe that there's just there is luck um unfortunately. i agree man i agree it's like right place at the right time or some yeah. happenstance decision you made along the way or you know something steered you in a direction and you know luck comes and goes some of it's good some of it's bad <laughs> you know well take the good luck while you can because you know there's always that you know at some point the bad luck comes too probably but uh let me ask you this um you it's you worked for dave query at some point um mm. where, where was that was that were you in boulder or yeah, I was in Boulder. I was in Boulder in the early 90s, mid 90s. Okay. Uh, right when he had opened Zolo, and I was, uh, he had opened Zolo probably within, I don't know, within the year, several months before I moved to Boulder. And I, I started as a server and I did some bartending there. And then within that year, he opened his first Jack's, the original Jack's Fish House on Pearl Street. And uh, I did a little bit of work there, but mostly I was at Zolo. And, uh, my partner, my ex-wife now, she was, she was on Jack's team and she actually went and helped open Jack's in Denver too. She was a trainer for him, but we were servers and bartenders in, uh, in Dave's organization. I think it was, wasn't even called Big Red F yet. It was just, uh, at that point it was uh, Zolo and Jack's and then there was a second Jack's and then he went on to do other things after we left Boulder, of course. Um, yeah. But yeah. Well, I asked that because when we started this Zoom series, I, you know, I called him and asked him to help us get it started. And um, I have a lot of respect for him. And I just fi I find it fascinating. There's certain people that, that seem to have like this, they leave this wake of other good people that do good things. He's sure one of them, you know, Ramey, uh, Kamita and Drew at Sweet Cow. It's like all these people that they seem to be the people that, uh, you know, we certainly admire and respect a lot. And you're one of them as well, of course. And then I just wonder who, um, who else are folks in your industry that 
you've you've learned from or have a lot of respect for that you've worked with over the years? Yeah, I mean, Dave is certainly, you know, working with Dave and seeing what he was doing with restaurants in the early 90s was, I loved it. It was like he was doing, you know, a quality of dining in a casual way and a real community focus in a way that I hadn't seen before in my experience. And, um, but prior to that, I did work at, uh, I, when I came out of Cornell, I went to the hotel school at Cornell and I was recruited by Let Us Entertain You here in Chicago. So Rich Melman's organization was where I really, you know, I had, I went through the management training program and I mean, that was incredible. I mean, that organization probably was 1990 when I came out of Cornell and I went right to work there and he had about 30 restaurants at the time, most of them in the Chicago area, but there were, I think there was one in Arizona and there was something up in Minneapolis, I think. And he had a few that weren't in the Chicago area, but he had like 30 some restaurants and had a hundred million dollar company back in, uh, you know, 1990. And, you know, but his principles were amazing. I mean, his, one of the things that he really focused on, I remember through his uh, training programs were, was uh, awareness, really trying to find people and encouraging people to open up their awareness of themselves and others. So he had this, like, I'd say Melman, you know, I don't know how people talk about his restaurants and his success, but he had a real kind of like a psychological approach to his business and really, um, looking at encouraging people to look at their own mental health and their own um, responsibility. And uh, I think it really, it really, you know, laid the foundation for his huge success. Um, so working in that organization as a young manager was a really great experience. And then uh, I worked for uh, 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 Steve Sobel and Howard Natinsky were guys that own a place called Southport Lanes, which was just announced this week that they're going to close. Um, but they had uh, a restaurant group called, they still have a restaurant group called Spare Times, although I think Steve owns the group now and Howard went his, his separate ways. But uh, with those guys, I actually learned the investment side of the business, how to, how to raise money from uh, friends and family to open up a business. And uh, that was a real good little uh, foray. For me, it was like my business school. I got to go learn, you know, uh, how to put an investment deal together. But I think from, from, other operators that I learned from, you know, I, I read, you know, Danny Meyer's book, Setting the Table. And I was like, wow, this is like all the stuff that I believe in, you know, so much stuff that, that Dave was doing in his organization, Query, and so many things that Melman was doing in his organization, and so many things that rang true to me. So I think, you know, when I look at like the principles of that heart-based uh, love for hospitality and success in business, um, I think, you know, Query and Melman and Danny Meyer are the guys that I think are just like that ones that I was exposed to that really resonated with me from a values point of view of, uh, of what their, um, you know, their, their philosophies and their ability to put it into action. Um, I think that they all really uh, walk to a, a very similar uh, style of management and philosophy in the business that resonates with me. And, you know, I've certainly adopted and felt an affinity for their values and, and uh, try to live them in our organization. But I think, you know, I think they're, they all come down to really good relationships. They all come down to um, the, the things that are uh, uh, really important in life is uh, 
learning and growing about learning, learning and knowing yourself and growing yourself and bringing that to relationships with other people in your organization and encouraging that in others. And uh, I think that's, that's what they do. And that's the heart of their success. And that's, that's kind of what we do too, is try to, we try to learn and grow. And, <clears throat> and all of us will admit, you know, um, I'll admit, and I'm sure all, all of those people that I pointed to would admit that we all make mistakes. <laughs> we all screw up every day and we learn from them, you know, and our organizations make mistakes and, and we got to keep moving forward, you know, move forward with those values and uh, move forward to continue building relationships. Like we, that's what we started with earlier is the, the key of relationships and getting this outdoor restaurant open is all based on being human with other humans, you know, and I think that's at the basis of what, what those guys are doing. And the awareness thing, and you just, you just exemplified that, which is saying, I, you know, I make mistakes. Being, um, it's, I find, I've really, one of the things I've really become fascinated with over the recent years, as a father, as a husband, as a business person, um, as a customer, is um is 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 being self-aware and finding the right balance between optimism and confidence confidence is so important to be successful in any relationship believing in yourself but also and confidence comes from your ego right but also being willing to check your ego quickly and put it aside and not let your ego take over and keep you from being aware enough to admit when you screwed up, like made a mistake. And I, I find that the more that I do that, that the, the happier, the more content I am. In other words, the more when I look at my son and say, man, I really screwed that situation up with you. Like I didn't handle it well and I was a bad role model example and here's why. Or having that conversation with, my bride or knowing in any domain, you know, having that awareness, that is a massively, it's like a powerful, it's like a superpower almost when you have, when you're really self-aware and you don't, you don't buy into your own BS, right? Like you go, you're willing to say, to humbly be thankful when you've had success, but also recognize big part of that's luck. It's not just me. That's, that's setting your ego aside and being aware or admitting when you, you made a mistake. Um, it, it can be hard to do if you're not wired that way naturally, which I don't think I was, but I think that when you get to a point, it's almost like it becomes this superpower where you, you don't carry this baggage of, of trying to inauthentically not own your mistakes or, when you, you become less judgmental because you look at a situation, you go, well, that person is a jerk. And you go, yeah, but what would you do if you were in that person's shoes? And, you know, maybe they're not aware, but you, it really becomes a powerful thing, I think. And you exemplify that day without question. All the people I mentioned that you mentioned really do. Um, and you mentioned uh, Melman and, and, psychology is almost like man the more you really start to understand human nature and psychology it's so relevant and applicable it's like one of the most important things i think you can 
learn and you can teach your kids and you can teach your employees. It's, it's awareness, it's understanding human nature. That's like a really powerful thing, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, I think the key to that is, you know, how can you understand others if you don't understand yourself? So you've got this, like, yes. you've got this, you've got this laboratory to work on yourself every day. Right. And I think, you know, what you're saying about confidence, I, I've learned that confidence is almost like the flip side of, of, uh, of humility, you know, it's like, it actually like to be really confident it takes some humility because you have to know, you have to have some awareness around your own weaknesses and things you don't know. And, you know, some, some idea that you're never going to be perfect, but you still can, I think confidence is almost like releasing your own, uh, um, letting yourself be free to be who you are at the same time, knowing that who you are is far from perfect, you know? And, yes. uh, and, and cause you know, I don't think any of us are perfect and we're all going to make mistakes. So, but you also, you know, there has to be this like humility and understanding that we're going to make mistakes and things aren't going to be perfect. But at the same time, we can't be overly self punitive to the point where we don't allow ourselves to be good at what we are good at, you know, and, That's uh, right. and, and continue to grow. Um, but I think, yeah, it's just, uh, life is just a huge exploration and we got this laboratory in our own minds and our own hearts to understand ourselves and we can learn to grow and understand ourselves. And you have so much more understanding of other people. And like you said, it's like, yeah, someone might be acting like a jerk, but you know, are they really a jerk or is that just the culmination of their circumstances at the moment? You know, and, and uh, we've all been there. We all share the same emotions and we all share the same experiences on some level. Some people have more extreme experiences in one direction or the other, but over time, you know, being able to uh, have, uh, compassion or empathy for others certainly takes you a long way in this business. At the same time, you got to get things done. You got to keep getting, you got to get through the day. You got to pay the rent. You got to pay the bills. You got to, you know, you got to do all those things. Um, but hopefully we can do it with, uh, with a lot of uh, understanding of ourselves and others and do it in a way that's humane, you know, and, uh, and brings people together. You know, we're in the business of bringing people together. So, so much of, what we do, uh, how we see the world and how we interact with the world is going to determine how successful we are in bringing people together. Yeah, that's right, man. Um, well, I think that, you know, it's interesting because you pointed out three people, two of them are very, very well known in the industry. Well known in the sense that like Danny Meyer's book is probably is like, you know, it's almost like the Bible for hospitality. So many people have read it. So many people I've talked to have read that book and have gotten so much from it. And uh, Let Us Entertain You is extraordinarily well-known nationally, as you said, a $100 million business back in the 90s. Dave's a little bit different because Dave is, uh, I mean, he's certainly had a lot of success. He's got like 15 locations, six concepts. One of the things I really admire about him is that uh, I'm always like, hey, do you know, so-and-so he's like dude i'm so unconnected i don't know anybody i just do my thing which i think is great because he doesn't um overdo the the pr shine the spotlight get attention thing you know net like win awards he's just like just in there just just taking care of business and um the, the reason i bring that up is because without sharing names, we've had some unfortunate situations recently where we have some customers that have been really good at garnering a lot of this attention and these awards and 
PR and all this kind of stuff. They get the spotlight. They're good at getting the spotlight for, and for, for legitimate reasons. Boy, I'll tell you what, though. We've had some that have uh, flown too close to the sun, I guess, because when you get that spotlight, the challenge is uh, people will, will uh, come after you, and we're seeing some of that right now. There's just a lot of divisiveness, in the, obviously, in our culture and society, and there's a lot of anger, and it gets misdirected sometimes. Or not misdirected. I shouldn't say that. I think there's legitimate reasons some of these folks have you know, maybe overlooked things in their organizations, but, boy – they will uh, find the people that have the brightest spotlight on them and they will, they go after you. And we're seeing some of that, a little bit of that cancel culture right now coming after some folks that, you know, we know, and it's, uh, it's hard to see. Um, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's the downside, I guess, of uh, having that, that attention sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes maybe the PR machine, it works to build the business, but it also can make you look bigger than you are. Maybe, or, uh, and, and, and turn you into, you know, like you said, the cancel culture, uh, it, it can be really tough because it's, uh, everybody makes mistakes, you know, and yep. some mistakes are worse than others. Um, but uh, it's certainly, uh, you know, and people need to be held accountable, but the, to, you know, I don't know, you know, some, it's, uh, yeah, the, 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 uh, the jury of uh, social media out there can be pretty harsh, I guess, and um yeah i think it's interesting like you say like dave just focuses on what he does he's not you know is it the attention will come his way because of his success in his business not because he's uh focused on getting attention from the media or uh, elsewhere um it's uh there's different approaches you know some people do focus on the attention and uh i'm sure it works very well for some and for others you know it may be leading to some problems uh, yeah, it's a, it's a risky proposition sometimes. Um, the, uh, I think you kind of nailed it, which is, you know, um, if you do things the right way and you focus on what you do, you're going to get the right amount of attention from the right people, um, just through word of mouth and you, you, the right way. Right. The thing is like, you can telling a story is really important and I, I value that a lot. We value that a lot. Uh, when you tell a good story, it, it makes a difference because people like stories. The, the challenge though, is if you're, you become so good at telling a story, um, sometimes a story is, uh, well, like you said, it's, it's focuses so much on the positives that the negatives get hidden. And then, you know, that, that can get accelerated when, when you do make a mistake, which everybody does, uh, people are going to want to take you off that pedestal. So it's been, I don't know, it's been interesting, but I've really, um, I've just become very aware of that um, lately, seeing some folks that, you know, I care about really struggle with some of that. And again, for legitimate reason, but uh, sometimes, you know, it's, um, you become like this the epicenter of all of this stuff, like the industry's fraught. I mean, it has been forever with, you know, let's just face it, like negative behaviors, you know, work hard, play hard. There's substance abuse, there's sexual harassment. I mean, the industry has got to do better. And, and the industry's moving in that direction. But sometimes, uh, you know, you can become this center of the attention and uh, 
you can rise fast and fall fast, unfortunately. But on that note, Chick, I want to get your thoughts about like your industry because it does so much good. And I think that's probably part of why there's some of these challenges the industries have because you, 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 it's, it's hard and stressful to take good care of people and provide them with love and hospitality and warmth and smiles and happiness and make them feel good. Like doing that every day, all day, is like really hard. And um, that's why you get that work hard, play hard where people will, you know, they'll go out and you are surrounded by alcohol and there's lots of things that can lead to negative behaviors as a result of that. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate thing. It's happened in the industry forever. I think the industry's moving in the right direction, but it's still got a long way to go. But I'm curious your thoughts on that. About how do you, how do you avoid all that in your industry? I don't know. You, you got to find balance in your life. You know, you got to, in fact, you know, myself, I'm actually getting together with a friend this afternoon to go for a bike ride. I'm like, I haven't exercised in months because I've been working so hard. And I'm like, I need to exercise. I need to just go and move my body physically uh, in a way that's not standing on my feet because I've been on my feet like 10, 12 hours a day. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and for me, we've talked about it before, you know, a meditation practice is what I do, but some people, you know, do yoga or they, they do, a, you know, they kite surf or, you know, they, uh, they do, you know, whatever their, their practice is that kind of takes them away from it all that is healthy. You know, like I think everybody needs some kind of healthy practice in their life, you know, whether it's spiritual prayer meditation or, you know, yoga Pilates, going to the gym, you know, exercising, you know, like there needs to be, got to keep that balance going. I mean, for me, even though I haven't been exercising, I've still been doing my meditation practice and, uh, but also like, sleep has suffered for me. I mean, you can probably tell I'm really tired today. Like I'm just, I, I, if I don't, actually I slept really well last night, but I have a buildup of not getting enough sleep because I've been home. I've been getting home late. I get home, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night and I can't go right to bed. So I watch a movie or watch some, you know, read something or, you know, whatever it is and stay up. And, uh, you know, and I can see like there were, you know, a few weeks there, I was like, man, I'm, I'm, ha I'm cracking open a beer, like almost every night. Like I can't be doing that every night, cracking open a beer. So I like, I have to like being back in the operation at the intensity level that I am like, I have to watch that stuff. You know, I have to make sure that I'm staying healthy and eating well. Like if I just, you know, eat on the fly at the restaurant, I'm sometimes putting the wrong things in my mouth. So I got to be like intentional about, no, I'm going to sit down and have a meal and it's going to have a lot of veggies in it, you know, and I'm going to, you know, so it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like in the throes of that right now where I was saying like, oh, I'm starting to get a little out of balance here. I'm not exercising. I'm not eating well enough. I might be having a few too many drinks, you know, and uh, I haven't been like that for a long time, but because of the past six months or eight months of all the intensity I've been through, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of letting my habits road. So it's actually interesting having this conversation right now because I've been at this point right now. I'm like, uh, you're exercising, you're paying more attention to what you're eating, you know, and it does take some some self-awareness to really watch what's happening. You know, if you're if you're not feeling well, you've probably got some things out of balance, you know. And uh, so that's that's where I'm with it. But yeah, it's challenging. I mean, it's really easy to to turn uh, a few good times into a bad habit, you know, or uh, or just time goes on, like, well, I'll eat healthy next week, or I'll exercise next week, or I'll start meditating next you know, it's like you gotta you gotta bring healthy practices in your day-to-day -day life and 
I think sleep's the biggest thing that I feel like I'm lacking. Like I got to figure out how to get to bed earlier. You know, <laughs> like that's the biggest Amen, thing for man. me. That's really challenging because you come, I mean, you can't work a day like that. And like you said, you can't just come in and go, you're wired. You got to yeah. unwind. Sleep, exercise, prayer, meditation, healthy food. Those things are the foundation for, I mean, that's a, those are superpowers too. If you're getting those things, you can do anything. But in your world, in your industry, you know, in hospitality, it's very hard to find that balance. And it's very easy to let that slide. And this goes back to what you were talking about with being aware, Chick, which is you're doing it right now going, okay, I got to be aware. This is, it will just get worse and worse and worse until, you know, whatever, something breaks or something like that. So I'm glad to hear that, man. It's such a big thing. I never really got that until the last few years. And I really, began to understand that these basic things we kind of take for granted, like, ah, yeah, sleep, you know, I'll, I'll sleep, you know, I can get sleep later. Mm-mm. Those things are, if you get, if you get, you know, good exercise and sleep and some good food, man, you can do anything. Um, and, uh, but that will also, it can get away from us quickly. I'm glad to hear you're taking good care of yourself, man. It makes your life and your career sustainable too you're not going to get burned out. Exactly. Exactly. It's easy to go around down the path of, well, this feels good right now. And I'm going to relax and, you know, but it's like, that's not the long-term answer, you know, drink, alcohol, whatever it is. I mean, not all that stuff has its place in people's lives to one extent or another or not at all. But um, you have to watch your, yeah, you have to, I guess it's your habits. You have to like make sure that you've got good habits, you know, because those basics that are, you know, obvious, everybody knows, you know, take care of yourself, sleep, nutrition, rest, you know, don't overdo it. It's easy for it to get out of balance for us. You know, like I said, I was like watching myself like, Oh, I think I'm getting a little out of balance here. Like I need to rein this in and get back into a place where I'm getting more rest and I'm taking a little bit better care of myself. So I can keep doing this long-term, like you said, like we can't keep doing it and expect the results to continue to be good, you know, for our personal life and our business. Yeah, when you have that internal conversation, anytime you go, yeah, yeah, I'll get to that soon, that's when you got to go, oh, okay, I got to start that right now because, like, yeah, I won't get to it. So, um, hey, have you seen this uh, documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma? I did. I did see it. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, man, I yeah. watched that last night. That was the reason I asked that is because, you know, it's uh, these social media tools can be really valuable and they actually talked about this and about whether something's a tool or not and uh it can be they can be used as valuable tools uh particularly in hospitality but it's uh quite an interesting thing if you're watching this um or listening to us on this uh zoom here folks check out the social dilemma uh especially if you have kids i have three kids so it really struck a nerve with me um but that was something i was thinking about like that's a, that's a way to get out of balance now too. I almost feel like after watching that, that like social media is almost like a, it's almost like a drug or alcohol. Like it's okay in doses, but you better be real careful because it gets very addictive and it can overwhelm you. Um, and, and the, the mental health uh, outcomes from overuse of these things or the way that you, you know, the, the way they make you feel about yourself can be very significant. Well, it's interesting, uh, even that it was brought up by one of the, one of the uh, people in the film, 
where else do they use the term <clears throat> user, you know, except social media and like illicit drugs, you know, like they actually, I mean, these are, you know, people that were high up in the social media industry who are critiquing yes. it and saying like, Hey, we helped build this monster. Now we want to help deconstruct it or at least turn it into something more constructive. But uh, yeah, like you said, like people are, people are getting in these social media rabbit holes that are built by algorithms that are spinning them out of control and, you know, separating people. And uh, it seems like it was from these people's point of view that were in the film, pretty unintended consequences. Yep. Uh, but, but, uh, but now there's uh, such financial incentive in the system for these companies to, to bring in so much money through their advertising. Uh, like it really works. Apparently it's very effective. You know, when I mean, you see things you go to a website and you see all, See that that if you, you know, I go look for a piece of restaurant equipment and that that restaurant that piece of restaurant equipment's trolling me all over the internet for the next couple of weeks. You know, everywhere I go, that piece of restaurant equipment showing up on my screen. You know, yeah, like, it was weird, man. Like that they know how long you looked at a picture or how, what you engaged with, and and uh, what what was really interesting to me though, and this ties into um, this conversation a few ways, but. It was very interesting to me that the algorithms have gotten out of control. Um, in other words, they, they talk like one guy was like, Hey, you know, you think about AI taking over one day and you think about like Terminator and robots. He's like, dude, AI is taking over already. Like we don't even know what it's going to do. It's smart and it's learning. And uh, it's kind of, they've lost control of it. And uh, which is very scary. But you mentioned the uh, comment about users and what they said is that the industries where you say that are, uh, uh, the illicit drugs, but it was uh, social media and software, which is our industry, which was quite interesting because it really, it, I, it, I stopped to think about this for a minute last night because we've always sort of been just enough software, but to we have always looked at schedule flaw like a tool, right? Like you grab it, you use it, like you tell your team, hey, we're, we're opening tonight or we're not, and then you're done. We don't we don't want our tentacles in you. Um, we want you to be able to grab this thing. It's like a hammer, hammer the nail and put it away. Cause we believe that you have more, per more important things to focus on uh, running your business, taking care of your team, taking care of your guests. But we're a weird software business in that way, because most of them is just constantly adding and adding. And they, well, want you're not, more. you're not, you're not out there trying to sell us another product. You're not selling, you're, no, not, no, putting no. you're not putting no. advertisers in front of us. So you're not trying, you don't care about how much time we spend looking at schedule fly. It's a tool. Like you said, it's not about, it's about, you're not trying to buy our attention. You know, yeah, that's right. That's right. Most or, are the, or, 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 or I'm sorry, sell our attention, which is what they came down to. It was like, you are the product in social media. You're the product. Yes, right. And you are being sold. You are being sold. Corporations. corporations. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's, uh, it's quite concerning. But if you, if you haven't watched that, folks, whether you have kids or not, I mean, if you're on any social, just, you should check it out. You're, it's quite interesting because if you think about a lot of the unrest that's happening right now, and, uh, they're fan. These algorithms are fanning this stuff. Like we're, we're being suckered. Really, um, it's un, it's unfortunate, but it's it's definitely true. It's definitely happening. They were talking about how like you could just go, hey, let's create unrest in this country in Africa, and you know, some global leader or some some bad actor could do that, and people are unwittingly being used. It's really weird. 
Um, but I bring that up because all this stuff to me, and you and I have talked about this before, but like what you do and, and what matters to us as humans, it's not the technology it should be, it's there. It has a purpose as a tool, but hopefully it gets out of the way because your relationship with your team, your customers, your town, uh, your fellow business owners, that's, that's what binds us and connects us. That's what hospitality is. And no matter how much technology uh, is deployed, how many algorithms are written at the end of the day, there's no business that's, that, that this is more true for than any it, hospitality is about you and me people, right? Thankfully, like right now we're using this technology as a tool to connect with each other and we can actually see each other, which I think is really cool. Um, because I can't be there. I can't, you know, I can't get on a plane and fly there and be with you. So I love that. But, um, but the relationship you and I have, that's what, that's what's the most important thing here. Right. And that relationship building that we started this conversation with that you do with your, everybody around you, your purveyors, your community, your customers, your team, your bride, it, those things are really what hospitality ultimately is. It's always going to be about people. And we'll always need that. Um, and uh, I just think that's such an important piece of what you do. I don't think it'll go away. It may change. But people need that. And the more people watch things like the social dilemma, the more they're going to start doing, being like, man, get that app off my phone. I don't need that stuff. I need this, you know, I don't need to be staring at this screen. By the way, <laughs> I think I told you this, like, here's my, here it is. Gone. No more of those apps. No more of those screens. I like it, man. It makes, it's made life better. Anyway. And like you said about the social dilemma, I think whether people are interested in social media or don't use social media, you know, they're not users. Um, it's so relevant to our society right now that being uh, aware of how it's being used is uh, it's important, you know, whether people are interested in social media or not, I think it's an important thing to know because it's hugely affecting our world right now and, uh, and how it works. And, you know, these insiders that are turning on it, I mean, it's pretty interesting to see that many, like, you know, almost whistleblower types. They're not really whistleblowers. They're outside those companies now and they're trying to figure out how to, educate people to help fix the problem that they help create. But uh, it's fascinating. And it's just, it's amazing that uh, that many people were involved in the production of that movie, you know, from the industry. Yeah. What's, what's cool about it is it's not this whistleblower thing where it's like, Oh, is it sour grapes or who, you never know, like what's their, you know, what's the incentive here or, are they being serious or are they pissed because they got, no, no, no. These are people that wrote this stuff. Like these are people that are still well-known and well-respected in that community. And the reason what was so fascinating about it was they all realized that they couldn't even avoid this stuff themselves. They're addicted to it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're like, wait a minute, I wrote this to do And now I can't stop. Like, this is bad. Like, Holy cow. You know, like right. you said, unintended consequences. It wasn't done for, nefarious purposes it's just the the outcome of you know again we talk about human nature and and uh it becomes so uh so addictive but it's it's a good thing because it's sort of like how um 
I think about my kids and the reason I think about this with you too is like I'm sure you've got you've probably got some young staff and I mean look they that's like what they've grown up on now I mean my kids grew up with screens and and they have them in front of them all the time and it's challenging because if you if you say don't do that you know the rebellious teen spirits like makes them want to do it more it's like when you said don't smoke cigarettes they're bad for you then teenagers like I'm going to smoke then and what worked, what ultimately worked was going, hey, uh, you know, when you smoke, you're being suckered. And they're like, what do you mean? Oh, well, it's all these people that they're taking advantage of you and they're making money off you and they know that they're harming you and they don't really care because they just want to make money off you. And that was like this ad campaign MTV started. And that's what really kind of got that turned. And hopefully the social dilemma is sort of the same thing because they really get into that. They're like, they're not thinking about you. You know, they're, they're using you. Um, so be careful. And teenagers might be more like, wait a minute, you mean I'm being suckered? Once people feel like they're being suckered, they look at things a little differently. Sometimes. Yeah. If, if they could be rational about it, if they're not already addicted. Right. So like they had that little vignette with the young girl, the family and the young girl, remember she smashed the, she smashed the, uh, smashed that case, that case or whatever to get her phone out during the dinner. She couldn't go without it for five minutes. And I've heard, you know, stories of people who've had kids who, you know, they take their phone away from them and it is like some kind of violent withdrawal. Like the, mm-hmm. the kids, are, yeah, like it's just, it's, and it's, you know, not, you know, and I'm not saying like, these are some spoiled kids. These are kids that have been, they've, they're truly addicted to something, you know, that's like they're having violent withdrawal behavior from take, taking their social media or their phone away from them. Yeah, it's just, an, we're, it's un, they're not, it's they're, all, they're all good. You know, and I'd say, you know, it's not an individual problem, it's a societal problem, you know. It's like, no, it was done, it was done, it's the, that's it, it's a, it is, it's a, uh, we're this, we're like in a, we're, it's an experiment. They're, they're the unfortunate um, ch- generation that's just like part of this big, crazy experiment, and uh, we're just beginning to learn how the negative uh, consequences can be, but, well, um, Chick, man. I'm I'm sitting here petting my dog. She's just going over here, walking around here. But uh, thank you for doing this, man. I, I, I'm really glad. I really enjoy doing this via Zoom too. I always like talking to you. It's good to see you. And yeah, it's um, nice. Nice to be face to face. Very much, man. Yeah. This is just a lot of fun. I always learn from you, and I always feel um, like you're just uh, you're an inspiring guy, man. And and I always feel great after I've had some time with you. So. Uh, selfishly thank you um, but but also thank you from schedule fly for doing this and for all the folks that you know are just trying to get through this and and even knowing sometimes that you know, it's just knowing there's other people out there having to deal with the same same stuff can be uh helpful sometimes and and uh so i really thank you for taking the time my friend thank you for having me it's always a pleasure i, I always enjoy our conversations gives me a lot to think about as well and uh, it's always nice to connect and, and share with the community on Schedulefly. So thanks for awesome, having us. Man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Um, I'll let you get back to it. Um, anytime, let me know, man. Call me, text me. I'm always here for you. All right, Will. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Thank you. See you, Chick. Take care, brother. All right. Bye. Bye.